GM. I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Stephen Graves. And this is GM from Decrypt. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, GM Steven, or should I say bonjour, as we've just come back from NFT Paris. GM Dan, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh, well rested after our great time in France. Uh, and now perfect timing after that event, which frankly made me feel really bullish again on NFTs and, and that whole world. Great timing to bring on the metaverse god, <laughs> Neil Stevenson. The author of Snow Crash, the man who coined the term itself. It is amazing. Um, I think of Snow Crash as so important, huge, and seminal, and famous, and I know you do too, and we both have been rereading. Uh, recently, when I've told a couple, now granted, non-crypto friends, they didn't know Snow Crash, and I was surprised. I mean, maybe it's not the you know, all-time fame level of like Dune or Ender's Game, but this has got to be what, one of the five or ten most influential sci-fi novels ever? Yeah, it's one of the certainly one of the foundational texts of the cyberpunk movement, along with Neuromancer, and massively informs the development of, of you know the cryptocurrency space in general and the metaverse specifically beyond just lending its name to the to the term it's the only stevenson i've read but i'd like to read another one of his books there's cryptonomicon although it's a doorstop um reamd or reamd is the one that looks most interesting to me it's it's a file it's like a readme file that's where the book gets its title but instead it's got a you know misspelled m before d uh have you read any of his other stuff yeah, I've read Cryptonomicon and the Baroque Cycle as well, which again are weighty tomes, but uh, very interesting. Cryptonomicon again massively informs the the, the sort of mindset of the the cryptocurrency movement, and is as good as Snow Crash. Core... I'd say so. Yeah, um, yeah, it certainly is influential I, uh, on the crypto space specifically. Awesome. Well, and of course now you know for our purposes, he is representing this metaverse company, Lamina One, building a new metaverse and a blockchain. And so he's been kind of doing the circuit. And it is cool to, you know, have known who he was as a writer, but now he's very much in our world, not just as a writer, but as a, you know, co-founder and a business person. So we'll ask him all about um, his company and, and what he thinks about the metaverse today. And especially when you've got Facebook renaming itself Meta to show its commitment to this thing. So uh, going to be very interesting to hear what he thinks about all that. Yeah, really interesting. And I'm particularly interested to hear what he's got to say about the open metaverse versus the sort of closed walled garden metaverse that, you know, companies like Meta are trying to build. 100%. Yeah, like is, is every little metaverse game its own metaverse? It's supposed to be just one big metaverse, but I always think of like Animal Crossing, you know, is that its own metaverse? Uh, let's bring him on. Oh, and we want to tell all of our listeners to join our new GM podcast Telegram group. It's for loyal listeners. You'll get direct access to us, the co-hosts. You can comment, submit a question. You might even be able to ask Neil Stevenson a question. We're hoping to get Neil to pop into the group next week. And the URL to join that Telegram room is bit.ly slash GM chat group. So it's bit.ly 
slash GM chat group. We're all in there and we hope you'll join. Okay, Neil Stevenson, GM, welcome. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Steven and I are very excited about this chat. Let's just start this way and we'll get into Lamina One and what you're up to and, and your body of work. But where do you see things right now as they stand with the metaverse as a concept? Like, do you feel that it has progressed to the point of seriousness, still has a long way to go? I mean, how do you think the average person thinks of the metaverse? Well, it definitely has uh, a long ways to go. Um, I think we've got the underlying technologies in place that are needed to actually build it. And that has not been true until pretty recently, but it's all there with uh, sort of massively multiplayer online gaming technology, internet, high-speed internet, hardware output devices of various kinds. Uh, people are comfortable using all of those. Um, so so I think we're kind of positioned to, uh, to actually start building it. We've got a ways to go before it's uh, a real thing. What do you say to skeptics? And there are many out there I mean, even me, you know, I've certainly played a lot of video games, but I, I don't currently feel like, oh, I'd like to go hang out in the metaverse and spend time there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's the job of content makers to, to make cool stuff that will make skeptics happy. You know, I mean, I have kind of an engineer mentality as opposed to a sales mentality. I'm not here to, to kind of try to pitch anyone or sell anyone on, on the idea of the metaverse. Um, but I do think that uh, once the right experiences are in place, people will want to come and, and, and use those. Who do you think is going to build those experiences initially? Do you think it's going to come from the sort of AAA game studios with their, you know, hyper real engines? Or is it going to be more of a bottom up um, development from the outset? Bottom up developers, small game developers, um, use the game engines that you're talking about. Those, you know, the Unity and Unreal have both structured their businesses in such a way as to make their engines accessible to anyone who wants to use them. And so that's that's one of the really important building blocks. You know, if you if you roll the tape back, I don't know, 10 or 20 years, it might be the case that only big AAA studios would have access to to really good engines. And so they they would have had a natural um, kind of uh, insuperable advantage. Um, but um, you can download Unity or Unreal. Um, anytime you want and start building building stuff with it. And, and both of those game engine companies are quite eager to support um, people who want to learn their engines. Uh, and, and along with that, there are suites of tools available like Blender, for example, uh, which is free. Um, that, uh, <clears throat> again, if you roll the tape back, 10, 15 years, um, in order to get access to the capabilities of a program like Blender, you would have had to spend a lot of money on an expensive software license. Um, so I do think it'll be uh, small, independent creators, uh, but they're going to use technology and tool chains that have been um, created over the last couple of decades by, by big companies. And uh, speaking of sort of the, the metaverse toolkit, um, you're working with the, the blockchain project Lamina One. Can you explain how that fits into that uh, set of tools for creators? Yeah, in order to um, make a, a metaverse that uh, that works, uh, there's a, a set of, I think, engineering problems that need to be solved that uh, where I see a kind of a natural overlap with, with what blockchain is, is capable of. So... If you're building a, as you were talking about earlier, a classic AAA game, 
you can kind of have everything together in one deliverable, right? So all the shaders, all the textures, the animations, the all of the other assets um, that make up a game can be contained in one project, one uh, repo uh, on on Perforce or whatever, and uh, and can be downloaded to the user's machine as a a, a kind of self-contained whole. In a metaverse situation, uh, ostensibly it's similar you're you have an avatar and you're walking around in a simulated 3d environment but you're crossing boundaries you know you're you you might step outside the boundaries of one particular experience and cross the street uh, uh and go into an experience that was created by someone completely different and every time you do that as a user you don't want to have to log out shut a game down and then go to a different site and log in and reclothe yourself in a new avatar and start over. You just want to walk around. You want all of your stuff to travel with you, your avatar, the clothing, the accessories uh, that go with that avatar, the uh, the inventory of items uh, that it's carrying around with it. <clears throat> and you would like that to just seamlessly work and keep working as you move around from one experience to another. Uh, all of that stuff that I just listed can be and it typically is created by different artists. You've got texture artists, you've got animators, uh, you've got all these different people making different kinds of assets. And what that implies is a really complicated interlocked economy where there's micro transactions kind of going on all over the place as, as these different systems interact with each other. The uh, you can do that through one big centralized system, and you can do that using fiat, you know, traditional fiat currency. Um, and people probably will. People will probably find ways to 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 do it. To me, it seems like an opportunity to use blockchain technology. It seems like kind of a natural fit. And so, uh, what we're trying to do is solve the engineering problem of setting up a layer one blockchain that's optimized for those kinds of applications, and to set up some tools and some affordances that developers use um, in order to uh, to take advantage of it. Um, you must have been approached by quite a number of uh, metaverse projects over the years looking for endorsements. So, what was it about this one in particular that grabbed you? Um, not as many as you might think, because uh, Maybe it's because I have a reputation of being grumpy and reclusive or uh, or people didn't want to um, create a perceived um, uh, liability somehow. Um, in this case, it's not an endorsement. So there's a difference between endorsing something that's already built by other people, you know, and just signing on saying this is awesome and then cashing a check as opposed to co-founding something and being involved with its creation. So, uh, you know, in this case, I'm a co-founder and the, um, the endorsement isn't uh, for something that has already been built. It's something that is in the works and the payoff only materializes if it's actually good for something. How much of a identity change is that for you? I mean, you know, you're obviously primarily known as an author. Now it's being a co-founder of a business. I mean, uh -huh. have you done this before? Does it feel, are you comfortable in this space? I've learned what I am and am not good at 
in this space. And so I am comfortable uh, because we've structured this relationship accordingly. So I was with Blue Origin from its inception until about 2006. I worked at Intellectual Ventures Labs uh, for a few years, uh, participated in a transmedia startup called Subatai. I was the chief futurist of Magic Leap from 2014 to 2020, and I've worked on other transmedia stuff since then. And so a quarter of a century of experience working in various kinds of business environments. So you kind of did a year of going to crypto conferences, doing the circuit. I mean, does it ever feel crazy to you that something you wrote fiction about, and I don't just mean the metaverse, there's also crypto with Cryptonomicon, but a lot of these concepts that were predictive and prescient in the past, now they're really coming to life. Or would you say, well, this is what I expected? Oh, I didn't expect it. No, um, it's a mixed thing. I mean, when you make, when you sort of predict something or try to write a book set in a plausible future that makes sense, you're you're kind of making an assertion that this makes sense and this is something that, that could happen. When something like that gets used in the way that Metaverse has, of, of course, it's both unexpected and kind of expected at the same time. Like you, you, you wouldn't put that stuff in the book if you didn't think it kind of made sense. But but it's a surprise when people agree with you. So yeah, when I was at um, South by everywhere I looked, it was Metaverse this, Metaverse that on banners and posters and conference headings and um, and same at uh, Consensus uh, in June. So so that's all completely wild and surreal. I mean, you talk about the term metaverse being used uh, all over the place, but many people are using it in a slightly different way than perhaps you'd envisaged. Um, do you think the term's been co-opted by centralized players like Meta? Do we need like a, a new terminology for for the uh, for the open metaverse? Um, I think open metaverse works pretty well. I think you know people understand the way it works. Like companies latch on to <clears throat> a word and use it for their purposes, you know, in a way that helps them achieve their goals as a business. And and it's left up to we as consumers to kind of look at that and hopefully cast a skeptical eye on it and um, and make our own judgments. So, um, you know, there's a few things that, in my opinion, people get wrong. One is to talk about a metaverse or multiple metaverses, which <clears throat> which I think is wrong. That's always a signal to me that somebody doesn't get it. Another one is to assume that it's always about using goggles which is a reasonable assumption. I mean, that's how it is in the book and in other depictions of virtual reality and fiction. Um, so people automatically think, okay, it's got to be about goggles. Um, but the situation that has actually emerged over the last couple of decades is that um, billions of people interact with three-dimensional simulated environments is through rectangles on flat screens. And that works really well. In some ways, it works better and using goggles uh, for various reasons. Um, and uh, people have just adapted to, to using that. Um, so those are a couple of areas where uh, I think there's been a little bit of drift in the, the idea, but I understand why. It's funny that you say it's a signal to you. People don't know what they're talking about if they say a metaverse or multiple metaverses. It's almost the inverse of the use of the term blockchain. You know, I always say that when a company or some corporate thing says, we'll do it on the blockchain. I know they yeah. don't know what they're talking about because they think there's just one. And it's like, well, blockchain is a form of tech. There are blockchains. 
I'm probably guilty of that myself, but it's a good uh, point. It's like the internet. So, I mean, nobody nowadays says an internet. People have all learned that there's just one. That wasn't always true. I can remember at one point, probably circa the late 80s, some techie friend of mine correcting me because I had confused ethernet and internet. You know, now I look back on that like, oh my God, how could I have ever made that mistake? But in the early days of the technology, when everything's changing fast uh, and conventions haven't really settled in, it's easy for that kind of thing to happen. Let's dive into the book. Uh, Stephen and I actually reread Snow Crash for this interview, which was exciting and, and fun again. You know, I, I first read it in middle school and I felt like it was so formative for me. And when I say the book, I, I mean Snow Crash. Obviously, you've had many books. Um, but when we talk about crypto, I, I imagine that's the one that, that comes up a lot, or at least the metaverse. There's also Cryptonomicon, which is very relevant. We're coming up on there. We just had the 30-year anniversary. Um, it was 1992 that it was yep. published. So I know Sotheby's is doing this commemorative NFT and everyone's kind of rediscovering it. What's that been like? And what do you think you got right? And what did you get wrong in Snow Crash? The time I wrote it, I had spent a couple of years doing a lot of graphics programming, part of an art project, which is being commemorated at this this auction, by the way. But um, the overwhelming takeaway that I got from that was just how expensive and complicated that kind of hardware was. What I was asking myself was, you know, how, how could this hardware has so much potential? You know, we could simulate whole worlds and we could run around in them, but what would it take why is it still just a laboratory curiosity? Why is it so expensive? What would have to change in order for it to become as cheap and ubiquitous as television is? If there's anything new or original I did in that book, it was to posit this idea of the metaverse, which is basically a, the TV of three-dimensional graphics. <clears throat> and um, as it happens was that um, a year after the book came out, 1993, Doom came out and the, the World Wide Web got, got started. And um, suddenly there was a reason for people to want computers that could show pictures. Because you click on a web page, you want the, the picture, to, the JPEG to, to load. And then Doom, just by being really brilliant on an engineering level, advanced the clock 10 years on computer graphics as an entertainment medium because they figured out clever ways to create the illusion of that you were seeing a rendered three-dimensional world. It wasn't actually doing all that work. It was, uh, it, it was just sheer ingenious hackery uh, at, at work. And I use that in the most complimentary sense. <clears throat> so suddenly, a year after the book comes out, there's these two huge trends that I, I didn't see coming, that, but both of them created a huge demand for graphics hardware and the software that, that makes it useful. And, um, and so that's what started driving the cost of, uh, of graphics hardware down to the point where now, you know, uh, almost everyone, even who has just a, a, a modern phone has got, you know, a kind of 3D graphics supercomputer right there at their disposal. I mean, it's interesting that you mention um, video games as being like the driving force behind the metaverse, because it feels like at the moment there's something of a roadblock between where we are at the moment and the fully open metaverse. And that is, what's the incentive for the people who are making these incredibly detailed virtual worlds, the sort of AAA games titles, 
to allow interoperability between their titles. Why would, for example, Rockstar and Bethesda let you take a sword from Skyrim and move it over to GTA? The people who make those games spend their whole careers building these coherent worlds that are exquisitely crafted and you know, making sure that every detail of the art direction contributes to a certain aesthetic whole. And um, one of the reasons that they tended to dislike the idea of, of interoperability is exactly what you said. Is if you know, if some, somebody brings a, a sniper rifle into my soccer game you know, or, or whatever, it's just an abomination from an aesthetic point of view. And it shows disrespect for what I do as a art director or a game designer. So I don't mean to suggest that games of that stripe are are going to somehow adopt interoperability or that or that they they should i hope that games will continue to exist as pure pure works of art uh just just like they are now and when you say neil that something a lot of people are getting away from is the idea of goggles like you know originally everyone's imagination of the metaverse involved goggles even as recently as ready player one you know the goggles the haptic gloves yeah. Um, you still see big companies though, that do seem focused on the goggles. You know, people are very, For sure. yeah, I worked at one apples. Yeah. Like apples yeah. <laughs> goggles are yeah. supposedly to be very big, but, but I'm with you. I mean, just personally, and maybe I'm already like past the age, maybe I'm too old at 35 for, for wanting to put them on, but goggles don't appear. I don't want to put on the headset, you know? Like, yeah. So what, what do you think is going to happen with those Apple? For example, is that could be a success? Is there a market for that? Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not anti headset at all. I know people who, who build those things for a living and their capabilities are um, are amazing and getting better all the time. Uh, it's just that you have to look at the reality of how people access these things today. You can't spend tens or hundreds of millions of dollars making an experience that can only be used by the tiny minority of people who, who own these these things. So you've you've got to make it work on flat screens as well. Goggles are, I think for most people, going to be something you put on for half an hour, 45 minutes. And during that time, you're going to have an amazing experience. Um, to keep them on for multiple consecutive hours, um, it's just not something I would do. We'll be right back after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Speaking of digital realms or, or metaverse realms that are just, you know, on one screen, you don't need the goggles. What do you make of the current leading names in the crypto space, which really are the Sandbox and Decentraland? There are others, but those are kind of the two that get a lot of attention. Respectfully, we're very early days, it seems to me still. They, they kind of look very 1.0. I want to read you a headline from our site. This is December 2021. The headline is, 
someone paid $450,000 to be Snoop Dogg's metaverse neighbor. <clears throat> I remember so that th headline. Yeah. I mean, does this seem like dumb money to you? Is this a smart investment? Will it play out? Will it be valuable three years from now? Well, I don't want to make specific remarks about specific companies. Um, I, to begin with, I just don't know enough about what their business plans are. And I'm not going to wade into that. Um, but uh, I, I think that um, what's, what's wanted, if you want lots of people going into the metaverse and having experiences, you've got to create experiences that, that they enjoy having. I mean, it seems like a sort of a stupidly obvious thing to say, but but there you have it. And um, if it's <clears throat> like purely a social space, cocktail party, kind of endless people talking to each other kind of thing, then you can get some traffic with that kind of uh, experience. But um, sooner or later, people want to do something besides just sort of talk to each other um, and do little emotes. Something that Fortnite's been <clears throat> kind of unexpectedly successful at is being a social space. Um, a lot of people go there just to hang out and talk to each other. And you can play the game too, if you want. Um, but there's something about the having both available that works better than just one or the other alone. And that's kind of an emergent thing. I don't, I haven't talked to anybody at Epic about it, but I'd be curious to know like when they started Fortnite, if they foresaw that, that people would just go there and hang out? Or was that an emergent thing that surprised them? One of the uh, one of the other things that's accompanied the emergence of these sort of blockchain-powered metaverse platforms is the idea of, obviously, virtual scarcity and, and virtual resources having value. Um, and accompanying that has been the emergence of phenomena like play-to-earn gaming, where people in, you know, emerging economies are sometimes grinding in these virtual worlds. Um, is that ethical? Is it exploitative? Should we be monetizing our free time in that way? Um, I actually did a whole talk about this at DICE last week. Um, the, the question is, what, where, does, where does the scarcity come from? I'm not at home now. I'm in a hotel. But looking around at what's in my house, I would see a lot of books. I'd see furniture. In theory, every single one of those has got a cash value. Right. So I could take every book in my house to a used book dealer and they would give me some money for it. I could take all my furniture and drag it out to the front yard and put up a sign that says garage sale. I could probably get at least a few bucks for everything there, but I don't. I choose not to do that because the intangible value that I attach to those items is greater than the, the cash value that I could get from them. So if I've got an old paperback book, its cash value is probably next to nothing. But to me, it's important because I remember buying it. I remember reading it. You know, I've dog-eared the pages. I loaned it out to my friend and he gave it back to me. You know, so it's got all these intangible connections um, that are more valuable to me than its cash value. Um, and so for me, that that old book, uh, on one level, it's not scarce at all because there's many like it, but on another level, it's priceless and you know extremely scarce because it's it's mine and it's the only one of its kind. And so I think that um, what happens uh, when we explore virtual worlds and build things 
is that we're creating that kind of scarcity. Um, I, pl I play a lot of Valheim with some of my friends. And if it were possible to sell things in Valheim, we might be able to sell it, but we wouldn't because it means something to us. So I think that the way that we get a stable economy in the metaverse is by creating opportunities for people to build unique pieces of UGC that are like that. They might still one day go out and try to sell them, but probably not. And so you don't get, you don't get people dumping assets. And, and there's no sentimental value that would give you the slightest hesitation to sell them off if you thought they were going to lose their value. So when those conditions are met, then you've got an extremely volatile economy in which people are willing to dump whatever they've got onto the market at the slightest sign that the market might be going down. So the way to avoid volatility is to create more richly textured uh, virtual worlds in which um, people don't want to to dump all their stuff because it has intangible value and it's important to them. What you've described is the crypto market. Are you also at all interested in and invested in crypto tokens? And as I often say, I think people too often now lump all of this stuff together. NFT, metaverse, crypto coins, it's all crypto. And I yeah. think that that should probably change because NFTs are becoming its own kind of subworld. Same with metaverse and gaming. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of different generations of crypto that have come along. There was like first generation is, you know, Bitcoin, um, which is a purely financial object. Um, next you get, it's also does what Bitcoin does, but it's got smart contracts and other, you know, features. And then I think NFTs are sort of third gen in a certain way. And there'll be others. Uh, the, 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 the essence of the, of this whole argument is that is that weirdly technical sounding term non-fungible bitcoin eth etc are fungible by design one token is the same as another that's what makes it into a, a currency as soon as you go to non-fungible what you're saying is that this piece of art it's a token it's on a blockchain notice i said a blockchain dan and so it's got mathematical characteristics in common with a Bitcoin, but it's, it's unique. It's non-fungible. That's the whole point of it. And so um, people still have this urge to financialize everything and uh, try to make everything kind of flow together, um, which I don't think is helpful um, to that, to that market, but it's a step, it's a, it's a start. It's a step in the right direction. And we see these tensions playing out like in the this whole thing that blew up last week about secondary royalties, where um, suddenly it became widely understood that smart contracts aren't actually contracts. And so if you've got a if you've got one that says that I, the artist, get secondary royalties, then uh, that sounds great. But anyone can just ignore that anytime they want. And, and that's now been sanctioned by by major exchanges. So that kind of thing is not helping. I'm, I'm hoping that we can kind of move away from this sort of single-minded uh, effort to financialize everything and start trying to develop a more diverse economy that by virtue of that would be a more stable economy. I'm also asking what you hold in your crypto bags. What, what do you got? Like somebody gave me a Bitcoin 
when it was a couple of hundred bucks and I've still got like 0.999 of a, of a Bitcoin somewhere. I don't have the attention span to even pay attention to, to dollars, much less, you know, 2,900 different possible types of, uh, of cryptocurrency. Awesome. Well, this has been such a great chat, Neil. We really appreciate the time. Oh, um, sure. I wanted to end by asking you, maybe it's a deep question, but how do you feel about uh, the planet and, and kind of our our lives for the next decade? What's your outlook? Are you, you feel optimistic? Yes and no. I think that, um, you know, we're in for some really bad times because of climate change. Uh, I think we'll solve it. I think we'll solve it through massive engineering efforts to um, hopefully just remove carbon from the atmosphere. So I think things will get bad and then they'll get a lot better. I was just reading some Twitter stuff today about how um, people who want to invest in climate tech, who are coming at it from a, a software mentality, their whole model of investing is let's find the company that's going to you know become a 100x company and make us a ton of money. You can't do that with hardware. When you're dealing with the physical world, you need a new investment model. Um, and these people don't get it. And so they're tending to, to put money into little, you know, startups that move bits around instead of uh, companies that build big hardware. But what we need to do is build big, big, big hardware. And it's going to be interesting because like essentially none of the meaningful steps that we can take to address the climate change problem are going to be a interesting to tech tech investors or be acceptable to traditional environmentalists. Um, they're all going to involve building big equipment, uh, which traditional environmentalists can't shake themselves out of this mindset of, you know, if we just ride our bicycles to work and recycle our newspapers, uh, you know, and change our ways, um, you know, that'll solve the, the, the problem. Um, so we're in for some really interesting times uh, with that. I think we'll get through it because we have to, um, but it's going to be wild in the meantime. Like those predictions. And of course, uh, we've got the sale at Sotheby's of the Snow Crash NFT going on this week. So people should check that out. And Neil, thanks again. Sure. Yeah. Check out the Sotheby's sites, the Metaverse, um, Snow Crash. Um, Snow Crash, I think, is what it's called. Um, We've got a sword and uh, some manuscripts of the book and some NFTs and, and other goodies uh, available there until the 6th of March. That's our show today. Thanks for listening. GM is a Decrypt podcast co-hosted by Matthew Deemer, me, Dan Roberts, Stacey Elliott, Stephen Graves, Andrew Hayward, and Kate Irwin, and produced by Zach Edelman. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you podcast. And as always, you can get more info on our website, including video with our interview guests. Head to decrypt.co. GM. GM.